Shabbat Shalom, everyone. I want to um, share something very honest, very raw, and very personal with you today. So, I hope it's taken a little bit in the spirit in which it's shared. Lately, as uh, many of you know, I spend a lot of time in Israel. I go anywhere from two to four or five times in the course of a calendar year. And it obviously matters a lot to me. But when I go in July, it's my favorite time to go because I go with Dory and the kids and I unplug from work and I get to wear shorts every day and it's a different mode of life. And inevitably, once we get to just around the halfway point of our time there, I, uh, I start to change. Dory notices the change. And she notices that I get a little bit more melancholy or sad or frustrated and she knows what's going on. She knows that I'm anticipating leaving and how hard it is for me to come back from Israel here. And when we're in Israel, Dory and I go out at least four or five nights a week, just the two of us, even after we go out with the kids, mainly because it's our time away and also because babysitters are a third of the price there, so we capitalize on it. And always that second half of the trip, we have the same conversation over a cappuccino in some cafe overlooking the old city every night, which is, what's it going to take for us to make Aliyah? What's it going to take for us to one day really choose to go to Israel? And there are maybe two or three compelling reasons why we absolutely haven't made Aliyah. I'm going to share them with you. One is we both come from incredibly close-knit families that are part of the core of who we are. And the idea of being 12 hours away from them by plane and seven hours away by time difference and phone is more than I think we could bear right now, especially as our children are growing. The second reason is that I don't think we've made Aliyah. It's because, ironically, there's no jobs for rabbis in Israel. If I were a doctor, an attorney, a chemist, an innovator, perhaps. But there's really no shortcoming of rabbis in Israel. So finding a profession would be hard. The third reason is the personal raw reason I wanted to share with you for a minute. And that is, it would be very hard for me and for Dory to make Aliyah, knowing that in doing so, our children would have to serve in the army. And in particular, our boy would have to be in the armed military and would be really probably on the front lines. To do that is a sacrifice that I don't know if we're ready to make. Now my boy is four years old, so we're talking something that would be 14 years from now. But I don't know if we're selfless enough to make that decision. I share this very personal and very raw story with you because of something that happens that transcends last week's Parsha and this week's Parsha that has to do with that notion of selflessness, of giving up of yourself. Last week, Abraham takes Isaac, his child that's born to him of Sarah, comes to him in old age, a special gift from God, and takes him to the top of the mountain and is ready to sacrifice him to God. 
Now, over the past years, we've looked very critically at Abraham and what kind of person he must be who wants to sacrifice his child. What kind of believer he must be and what kind of poor father he must have been. But I've been thinking a lot about this. And if we wanted to look at it through a different lens, through a changed angle, which the Torah really wants us to do by rereading the same stories every year, perhaps what it's telling us is that God wanted Abraham to take the thing that mattered to him more than anything else, more than his own life, and that is his child's life. You see, if someone told me that we were going to make Aliyah and you... David would have to go into the military, but your children wouldn't. That'd be a no-brainer. I would talk to you about the first two issues that are problems for me. The third one wouldn't be one. But the idea of putting your child in harm's way, that which you love more than anything else, is really an act of deep selflessness, the antithesis of selfishness. And perhaps what the Torah is trying to get of us, because I think if we wanted to look positively and giving a a meritorious view to Abraham that he is a pretty selfless character at times in the Bible. When he is making the plea to God at Sodom and Gomorrah, begging for him to redeem this town, find it worthy of not destroying it. What happens? What do we see? We see an Abraham who fiercely battles on behalf of the people, selflessly, begging for God. And perhaps when God says, take that which matters to you, maybe part of the dialogue was, no God, I'll sacrifice myself to you. And God says, that's no sacrifice. That's not something bigger than you. Today, in the land of Israel, it's hard for us to imagine what it means to care for something more than we care for ourselves. It's a hard notion to consider. Hard notion what it means to really make sacrifice. But when I think about every Israeli who chooses to live in Israel and every person from the diaspora who chooses to move to Israel to make Aliyah, what I think about knowing that they have children or they're going to bear children and those children will eventually serve in the army, that there is a level of commitment and sacrifice of caring for something bigger than them that we really can't appreciate. This is not in any way to put my parents down. It's a praise of them and their love for me. But my brothers and I were all born, they were born in the 60s, I was born in the 70s, all during the time of Vietnam. My father's from Winnipeg, Canada. My mom's from Michigan. So my dad was entitled to enroll all of his children if he chose to be Canadian citizens, dual citizens. And he did. As soon as we were all eligible, all of us became Canadian citizens. If you ask my father or my mother why they did that, there was one reason. To avoid the draft. Should their kids get older and there be another draft, we wanted to have a way to legally avoid it by being able to just move to Canada. It's the antithesis of Israel. In Israel, you're joining it because you care about something bigger than you. Here, we're looking for ways to get out of it. And others would have done the very same thing. Others looked at my father very enviously as to this benefit you have in being born in Canada that you can now make your children eligible for avoiding conscription. 
we struggle as a whole with this idea of selflessness versus selfishness. And there's another example that happens actually in this week's parasha. It happened in the third Aliyah. As Rika was reading, there was a shalshelet, a, a very unique trope piece that happens very rarely. It's on page 132. You don't have to look it up. It's on this one word, and it's about a slave that's talking to God. The slave is given the task of finding a wife for Abraham's son Isaac. The slave, the Midrash explains, is Eliezer. And he goes to go look for a wife for Isaac, but he doesn't want to. The Midrash tells us that he doesn't want to find a wife for Isaac. Why? Because Eliezer wants to be the heir apparent. He wants to be the helper to Abraham, and he wants to be the person who gets all the riches and royalties and has the next piece of the pie in the generation, in the legacy. And the way to ensure that happens is if Isaac doesn't get married. If Isaac doesn't get married and Eliezer does, then Abraham can leave all of his royalties and riches to Eliezer, the servant, as opposed to his own son. So he's faced with a dilemma. Do I look after myself or do I look after my master and his needs? If I look after my master and his needs, then I take one for the team. And the legacy of the riches, the royalty, my heritage, all that will be forsaken. But if I look after my master and his children, and that comes to them, I'm lost. If I don't find the wife, I could be the heir apparent. I could have the royalties. I could have the legacy. He was totally torn between selfishness and selflessness. And the Midrash tells us explicitly that he chose selflessness. To give of himself and to find Rebecca for Isaac and in doing so, ensuring that the lineage continues to Isaac and Rebecca and eventually to Jacob, Leah, and Rachel. In that one act of giving of ourselves. We are a people, especially in our community and especially in our time, that has a, a challenge when it comes to giving of ourselves. We give of ourselves if I tell people in the synagogue, hey, there's some that are hungry right now, they don't have jobs. I have a lot of people coming to me with cards so that they could have a gift certificate at AMP or ShopRite. If I told people that uh, some people don't have jobs, you have people try and give them some income for a while. We're generous that way. But generosity and selflessness are at times different. And we're a people that struggle with the notion of selflessness. I just admitted to all of you the very struggle I have with the notion of selflessness and something that matters to me and is important to me and of value to me. I want to give you one little example of where I see that manifesting itself. It's not meant to poke fun. It's not meant to shake a finger. But just kind of underscores the way that our minds are wired to think about the I, the me, as opposed to the us and the we. We just started to cull a lot of the data that we received from our high holiday survey at the synagogue, which is immensely helpful to us in how it is that we calibrate areas that need work and areas that we need to ensure continue to work well. So, when we looked at most of the anecdotal data, most of the information that's shared to us, most of the information had to do with people's individual needs when answering a survey about the needs of the congregation. Now, ultimately, a survey is meant for that that we get our individual input to see how it affects us.
but there were very specific individual needs that had no reflection of what it was that the synagogue as a whole needed. And I bet you a lot of surveys that we fill out are very much in that nature. I'll give you one random example. For a basic piece of anecdotal improvement area for the synagogue, one snapshot, and there were many like this. We have Yisker way too late because I have to go to Westchester for breakfast and I can't make it in time. We need to move Neela earlier. You can laugh, it's okay. What caught me about that example and the many, many others that were very similar in nature were not many in our congregation have to travel to a breakfast far away. Or this is a challenge for multiple people, but it had to do with making a change for a community of whole that was based on the individual. The person who answered that wasn't thinking through the lens of what's best for the community, what's best for the synagogue, what's best for all of us. They were answering the question based on what's best for them. And sometimes that's how we see the world, what's best for us. If Eliezer would have answered the question what's best for him, it would have changed our entire destiny. Isaac never would have found a wife. It could have cut off the Jewish commitment right there at that very moment. If Abraham perhaps would have said, hey, let's look out for me. I'll take my life and sacrifice it to you, God, as opposed to the absolute selflessness he wanted. Maybe it would have changed our destiny again. And if people would have been so selfish to say, I want to go to Israel, I want to live in Israel, but I'm not prepared to put me or my family on the lines for sacrifice, we wouldn't even have a homeland. Perhaps the lessons are teaching us in this parasha that selflessness is the ideal that we should strive for. It's not easy. It's a challenge. It's a challenge for me and it's a challenge for you. But perhaps by stopping and reflecting and asking ourselves if we're a little bit more selfless, does it really get to the essence of what our tradition is about? We might be surprised by the answer. And we might be surprised by the fortitude and strength it gives us in our hearts and in our souls to really feel the essence of what Judaism is commanding of us. I pray that we all find that feeling now and always. Amen. Continue our service, page 155.